page 909 in your chair Bibles. Let's pray. Father God, you are so good to us. Thank you for Christ who is the solid rock on which we stand. And thank you that all other ground is sinking sand. And just for the fact of how many times, God, you've, in sinking sand, the more you try to find your footing, the more you sink. And I thank you that in worldliness, the more we try to find our footing in the things of this world, the more we sink as a Christian. Thank you for Christ being the solid rock. And he is the cornerstone that unites Jews and Gentiles, rich and poor, slave and master, or employer and employee. He unites us. And I pray that he would be active and present in this church, that we'd be submitted to him as our leader, rejoicing that you have said you will build your church. May this be your church. And help us to submit to you as we learn what that looks like. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, the title of the message is Preparing to Launch. Last week, we asked the question, to whom does the church belong? And now we've got to begin to ask, what is the church? What does it look like? Where are we going? And uh, as you think about that, I wonder if you know of any great churches. I often hear people talk about churches, and they say, it's a good church. This is a good church. And I, we go to this, and it's a good church. I know all about good churches, but have you heard of a great church? Few are usually called great. Usually good means they have strong doctrine, the building isn't too shabby, and they have a decent number of ministries. But when a church is called great, at least in my own experience, it's almost always connected with lives being transformed, people being saved, missionaries being sent, and churches being planted. I want this to be a great church. Don't you? I hope you do. Carl, if you're watching, he said he always likes to talk in the sermon. Whenever I ask a question, he doesn't get a talk. And I had in my notes, Carl, you can say yes. And he says, I hear. So, if you see Carl, tell him. <laughs> I want this to be a great church. You know, the beginning of something is often great. Just the other day, I heard of Taylor. She's from Amarillo, Texas. She was a typical millennial in 2020. She had $60,000 of school debt, which is typical for millennials, $60,000 of school debt, $9,000 of credit card debt and medical debt, and she just lost her full-time job. And she's like, I am sick of where I'm, I'm at. And she had heard this thing called cash stuffing. Many of you may have done it, or your grandmas might have done it. She said, you know what? I'm going to live on cash. She began doing some side hustles. Every single paycheck she got, she went and she cashed it. She put it back in an envelope. And she began to record her process on TikTok. She gained a huge following that now is over 600,000 followers on TikTok. In the year 2021, she made so much money and received much from TikTok and became so popular that uh, she was able to pay off, one, actually I think it was in 2020, she paid off $23,000 of debt. And then she got a stimulus check. She said, I'm going to walk by faith. She launched out, started a business for cash stuffing, where she makes these nice, fancy cash stuffing things. They all look really girly to me, if you ask. So, don't know what that says. But anyway, business took off. In 2022, she made $850,000. This year, she's on track to make a million dollars. What a great idea. Not a good idea, 
That was a great idea. She's out of debt. She had many people that reach out to her and say, my grandma used to do that. It was a great idea, but it wasn't new. And I want to tell you that every single church that is great in God's eyes isn't doing anything new. They're doing things different. How they do things are different. Warren Rearsby always said, methods are many, principles are few. Methods always change. Principles never do. The church isn't a new idea, but we're wise to go back in time and see what she was committed to when she was new. Point number one is preparing to wait. Preparing to wait. In verse 1 through verse 11, Jesus has risen from the dead. Luke is the author, and he's saying to Theophilus, probably the guy who funded the book of, books of Luke and Acts, he's saying, hey, I wrote about what Jesus did in the gospel of Luke, and now I'm going to tell you what Jesus continued to do through the apostles. The purpose of Acts was to identify the spread of the gospel, fulfilling Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And you're going to see that actually at the end. It's really, really cool. If you look at the outline of the book of Acts, Acts 1-8 happens. The gospel goes to Jerusalem, and then Judea, and then Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. In verse 1 through 11, though, Jesus spends 40 days with 500 disciples. And he was convincing. He was touched by Thomas. That's physical proof that Jesus was alive. He was seen by 500 people. That's visual proof that Jesus was alive. He spoke to the disciples. That's audible proof that Jesus was alive. So listen, whenever you meet someone who doesn't believe in Jesus, it's because they don't believe in proof. And even many atheists have said, you know what? I can't deny that Jesus was a real human being. Some of the best atheists have even said, I can't deny that Jesus rose from the dead. I just don't submit to him as Lord. I appreciate honest atheists. There's plenty of proof, though. After that, he commands them to wait for the promised Holy Spirit. And then he ascends, and the angels tell them that Jesus will return in the same way. Check out these two scripture verses. Did you know that when Jesus says he'll return in the same way, he meant it? On that day, his feet shall stand on the mount of what? Where are the disciples right now when Jesus ascends? Mount of Olives, that's right. Before Jerusalem on the east and on the Mount of Olives, he shall split it in two from east to west by a very wide valley so that half of the mount shall be moved northward and half southward. Look at Revelation 1, verse 7. Behold, he is coming, what? With the clouds. How did Jesus ascend? In the clouds. How is he coming back? In the clouds. It's right in Scripture. But as the church was preparing to launch, we find her waiting. G. Campbell Morgan has said this, it is much easier to work for God than to wait for God. You know that to be true, don't you? It's much easier to be Martha than to be Mary. When we're doing something, we feel productive. But why were they waiting? They were waiting because they needed power. There's an old story of a discoverer, and he was headed out to make a map of a, an uncharted area. Have you ever heard this story? Maybe you have. So he headed out to make a map of an uncharted area. So he hired a couple of natives, and they're going with him. And he, they, for two days, they just press and press and press, and they keep going throughout this entire jungle area, and he's making a map. Third day, he wakes up, loads up his stuff, and they're sitting around the fire. He's like, come on, guys, let's go. And uh, they stay there. It's like, hey, <laughs> let's go. So we're not moving. I said, why? So we're not moving, and we won't move. I said, come on, we need to discover this. Why aren't you moving? They said, we're waiting for our souls to catch up. I wonder how many churches are so busy 
but their souls haven't caught up. I know in my own life, I've had times where I'm just doing the ministry. I'm sure you have too. Where your heart's not in it anymore. You're no longer ministering, you're just doing what you're supposed to. They had to wait. They needed power. Good churches often have a flurry of activity, but their souls haven't caught up. And so they prepared by waiting. Jesus even said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And I talked about that last week. doesn't matter how good your tools are. If you've got no power, it does no good. And if you've got power, it doesn't matter how bad your tools are. You're going to do better work than the other guy that has no power. And churches without power are sad, but they can often be good. Point number two, preparing by praying. Preparing by praying. Verse 12 then they returned to Jerusalem. What did they return to do? Did they return to have a strategic planning? Nope. They returned to a prayer meeting. Listen, the best thing we can do while waiting is to pray. I love this quote here that I don't have on here, so I got to read it. Wow, I really got to read it. All right, waiting for God is not laziness. Waiting for God is not going to sleep. Waiting for God is not the abandonment of effort. Waiting for God means first activity under command. Second, readiness for any new command that may come. And third, the ability to do nothing until the command is given. God has said he will build his church. And sometimes waiting for him is saying, God, what do you want to have happen in us? Now, what do we want? What do you want? And the best thing we can do while waiting is pray. I, I loved prayer meeting this past Wednesday. We started by praying through the Psalms, and we're going to be doing Psalm 2 this Wednesday. And uh, on our, our Wednesday group is small in numbers, but I believe that we can be great in power. And actually, have you ever noticed, how many people did Jesus appear to you after his resurrection? You remember? Five hundred, right? Five hundred. How many were at the prayer meeting? 120. <laughs> so we're not in a bad company if you have more people on Sunday than you do have Wednesday. That's pretty normal. But notice what type of prayer it was. It was united prayer. It says that they were united together. All these, verse 14, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together. I think this was delayed obedience. I really do. You remember what Jesus said to Peter, James, and John in the garden? Watch and pray that you enter not into a temptation. Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And I think Jesus ascended, and he said, wait for the Holy Spirit, and you'll receive power. And if you remember in Luke chapter 11, Jesus said that, he, that God is like the good Father who gladly gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm just imagining Peter, James, and John, they're walking back and they say, okay, what should we do? And he says, I've been here before. <laughs> Peter goes, I fell asleep last time. I'm not falling asleep this time. <laughs> Last time Jesus said, watch and pray. That's what we're going to do right now. So they say, okay. We're going to watch and pray. So they delayed their obedience, but they obeyed. And I think that they were praying for the Holy Spirit and for power. If you've ever been to a prayer meeting, there are some times where requests are given that you cannot unite with in prayer. Often those are physical requests. Um, 
My mom's been through cancer twice. I prayed about that a lot. But what exactly do you pray for someone going through cancer? Do you pray they're healed? Can you unite for sure in that? You don't know. Many, 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 many Christians have gone through cancer and it was one of the most growing times for them spiritually. And they would tell you, if I hadn't had the cancer, I wouldn't have grown in this way. So you can unite for God to grow them through that, right? What are they united around? I think they're sitting there and they're calling out together saying, God, if you don't give us power, we're not going to be your witnesses. God, give us power. And they're united together. There's another thing. It was continual prayer. Look at verse 14. These devoted themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the disciples. They devoted themselves. Verse 24, after they decide on the people, what do they do? And they prayed. And they said, Lord, you know the hearts of all. So even in their decisions, they were praying together. Most of the men who have planted churches in the Engage Network, which is where my brother just planted churches in the greater Des Moines area, they spend five to seven days of prayer and fasting for God's direction before they choose the place that they're going to plant a church. It's continual prayer. Thirdly, it was corporate prayer. You notice it was men, women, apostles, and disciples. The prayer of the saints has been called the incense of God. And my mom and dad spent the night here Friday night, and they brought ribs with them. Cooked, you know whenever you walk into hy V and there's that guy with that massive grill, and he's cooking ribs, and you're like, no, 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 no. They said yes. And I'm so glad they did. <laughs> and the incense of those ribs filled the house and delighted my heart. There's something special about churches praying together. Churches united in prayer. Not just praying for each other. Not just taking turns in prayer. Not just I'll pray, then you pray, then you pray, then you pray. But united in prayer, saying, God, we're searching for you. God, we're looking for you. And when you pray around Scripture, we can unite around that. And how it must delight our Heavenly Father when both His sons and daughters lift their voices together. And so, ladies, if you're like, I don't think I should pray in church, come here, look at this text. It says, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, and His what? Brothers, guess who got saved after Jesus' resurrection? His brothers did. Praise the Lord. I wonder, do you pray with people when they are praying out loud? I can't explain it, but there is more power in corporate prayer than you have in private prayer. There are a couple of things that have proved this. I think um, one, of my, one of my favorite stories is Greg Steer. He is the author and founder of Dare to Share Ministries. And he was at a multi-denominational meeting and they all split up for prayer and he's a Baptist and he goes for some reason they put me with the charismatics <laughs> if you know anything about Greg Steer you know why they put him with the charismatics he's a little bit charismatic himself but just in his in his personality well everyone else is sitting in their nice little huddles and you know they're kind of whispering their prayers so that nobody else can hear them charismatics don't believe in whispered prayers and so they're all united around and they're sharing their requests and they're getting loud and boisterous and this guy's saying, amen, yes, Lord, amen, Lord, let, let it be. And they're, and they're getting together and, and Greg's just like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I'm with this group, but this is awesome. But anyway, then it gets around to him and they're like, uh, what's your request, Greg? And Greg's like, well, I gotta have a good one. You know, everyone's going around and they're being really, really meaningful. None of them have shared dull requests. He goes, well, my wife and I have tried to have kids for 10 years. 
and we've been infertile for 10 years. And uh, we'd really like to have a kid. And one of the charismatics jumped up and he goes, I got this one. And he put his hands on Greg and he began to pray that God would ignite the seed and the egg and that they would come together in perfect harmony and make a baby. And as he continued to pray really loudly for all the people to hear, these guys are saying amen and this guy's saying amen and Greg's turning bright red, you know. And he says amen and then he goes this. He goes, it's done. And Greg says, faith without works is dead. Within the month, they were pregnant. Do you think Greg and his wife had been praying for a baby? Absolutely. Absolutely they had. But we've also heard of a man. He was put in prison for preaching the gospel. Planned to be executed. And he was there, chained between two guards. And what on earth was he going to do? How could he get out? The church said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to have a prayer meeting. So they called together a prayer meeting. They began united in prayer that this man, Peter, might be delivered from the bonds of this king, from this man who has already killed James, and he got some praise for that. So they unite in prayer. And Peter's sleeping. He gets a tap on the shoulder. And actually, I love it in the Greek. Basically, it's the angel goes, whack, <laughs> wake up, Peter. He's like, God's got this. Stands up, chains fell off. He walks out, he thinks he's in a dream. Door opens. Door opens to another place. He continues going on, and all of a sudden he's like, well, where should I go? I should go to the prayer meeting because I bet they're praying for me. And they're united in prayer, and, and the slave girl runs up, and he goes, hey, can I come in? And she goes, what? <laughs> and she runs back, and she goes, guys, Peter's here. She said, no, we're praying for him. She said, yeah, he's here. No, we're praying for him. I know. <laughs> you think Peter prayed for himself? Yeah, but then the church came together and they were united. As we think about that, prayer by ourselves will not. I personally don't think the prayer by ourselves will transform our church. But when we begin to pray, when we begin to ask, do we want to see people saved? Do we want to see addictions broken? Do we want to see families restored? Do we want to see our kids serving the Lord? That's one of the biggest burdens that most parents bring to me. I want to see my kids loving the Lord. I want to see my kids loving the Lord. I want to see my kids loving the Lord. Do we want to see lives changed? Do we want to see hearts that are sensitive to the Word of God? Do we want to see holy living? All this is from God, and we must pray together. Last month, I read of a church that was struggling financially. The pastor broke down, and he said, we are doomed if we don't pray. If God doesn't show up, we have to close our doors, and I'm calling all of us to just call out to God and bear our burdens to him. And he knelt down on the front of the platform, and he just began to call out to God loudly in a voice saying, God, you've got to show up here. We are dying. We're in the heart of New York, and we're doomed if you don't show up. And all of a sudden, the entire congregation of 12 people came to the altar, and they're calling out to God. And from the back, a man who's made his way up last is weeping, and in tears, he walks up. And it's the treasurer who had been suspected of stealing money. And he came up, and he claimed to the platform. He said, I'll never do it again. 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 
Was he confronted by the pastor? No. Was he confronted by the spirit? Yes. Did his life change? Absolutely. Guess what? That church is thriving today, has planted 25 churches since. You ever heard of Jim Cimbala? His church. This week I read of a prayer meeting that was at a men's conference that focused on God as father. The prayer leader shared about how many people have damaged relationships with their fathers and then he went on to tell about how good God was as Father. And the whole, be- whole group began worshiping God for all that he is. And they began to pray and to pour out their hearts together that God would demonstrate his fatherly attributes in their lives. That he would show himself as Father, as a good Father to each and every one there. And these are just a group of men. And as they continued to pray, the prayer leader was continuing to lead. He leads through a, a fourfold thing. And we, this is what we do on Wednesdays. It's we start with reverence, who God is. We worship him for who he is. Then we, start with re, then we go to response. How should we respond to who God is? And then we bring him our requests. And he's leading through this. Then readiness is the last one. He's leading through this. And as they're praying, as the men are calling out, a group of about 200 men, as they're calling out, he sees an older man on this side of the auditorium who's in tears, and he walks back around the back, and he comes over to this side. And there's a young man sitting on this side, and they embrace, and he can see that both of them are just trembling and weeping. And guess what? It was a father-son who had hated each other for years. They'd been mad at each other, been unreconciled, and nobody in the church could reconcile them. And in prayer, in prayer meetings, God showed up and he said, you, go to your son like I have come to you. And you repent. And you love your son. And he said, son, you forgive your father. He is not me, but I am the perfect father and I've worked in him. And they were reconciled through prayer, guys. We have no power to change people's lives. I have no power to change any of your lives. I can't break your addictions. I can't heal your marriages. I can't solve your kids' problems. I can't help with your work problems. God's got to be the one that shows up. And I can't reach our community. And you can't reach our community. And we can't see people saved. We can't save anyone. But God can. He can change you. He can change me. He can give us new hearts. He can give us love for the people of our town. He can give us love for holiness. Are you struggling with pornography today? He can give you a love for purity. God can do that. Rules won't change that. God can give you the heart. Are you struggling with loving your spouse? God can change that. Are you struggling with forgiveness? God can change that. I can't. You can't. But when the church is united in prayer, it is awesome what can happen. Because then, you know, those those guys... Each of these stories that I've told you, how many of you thought, wow, what a great pastor that must have been? None of you. (laughs) Why? Because you're like, he just prayed. God showed up. And when God shows up, the pastor doesn't get credit because they're like, you're not that good. (laughs) Therefore, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. In school, I was taught how to preach. I took homiletics classes. I learned how to preach. I learned how to study the word. I learned hermeneutics, how to handle the word. I've read dozens of books on preaching, how to preach with power. Do you know how many classes I've taken on prayer? None. In Acts 6.4, 
says we will devote ourselves to the Word of God and prayer. Many times we assume that prayer is something that we just naturally do. I'm convinced we need to say with the disciples, Lord, teach us to pray. Listen, church, we can cut programs and add programs all day long, but if God isn't working, then none of our programs are working. It's been said, we either fail miserably without God or we succeed all the more miserably. Think about that. We either fail miserably without God or succeed all the more miserably. Finally, it turns to preparing the people. Verses 15 through 26, they say, we got to fill this role where Judas abandoned. And the expanded title of the book of Acts could be the Acts of Jesus Christ continued by the apostles by the power of the Holy Spirit. You should not be able to read through Acts and see only the actions of a healthy church. When a church goes from 120 to 3,120 in one day, no church growth guru can tell you how to do that. And no church growth guru is going to say how you're going to handle all those new believers. Can you imagine our church today? We're about 60 people here. All of a sudden becoming 1,500 people today. <laughs> Talk about discipleship needed. No, not just discipleship. Holy Spirit. It's got to be working. We can't handle it, but the Holy Spirit can. Notice the work of the Holy Spirit. Go ahead and put all five of those up there I think we got. Throughout the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit comes up over and over and over again. They have commands through the Holy Spirit. They're baptized by the Holy Spirit. I fully believe that when you receive Christ as your Savior, you receive the Holy Spirit. But beyond that, I believe that it is says in Scripture, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Have you ever met someone who's a little bit drunk and someone who is really drunk? There's a difference. I remember being in uh, high school and I was taking my driver's ed instructor classes and you know those drunk goggles that they give you? The impairment goggles? I don't know if you ever had those. Basically, they tell you what your vision is like if you're really drunk. Every single one of us wanted to try the 2.0. Now, if you know, blood, if you, if you blow a .08, I think it is. Is it .08 or .08? Yeah. If you blow a .08, you're considered legally intoxicated. We had goggles that were 2.0. <laughs> this is like, you're basically dead from alcohol. And I tried them on, and we were told that we had to walk a line, you know, foot over foot. So here I am, not a drunk, wow, I can't even barely do it. And I'm walking foot over foot. And the more steps I take, the laughter of the crowd just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And I take off my goggles, and I have walked perfectly a foot off the line. <laughs> Why does God use drunkenness as the contrast for the Holy Spirit? Because you have the Holy Spirit, but I fully believe that we can be filled with the Holy Spirit in a fresh way. And I've been praying for it for myself and for you that we'd be filled with the Spirit. Not that we'd just possess the Spirit, but be filled with Him. In the church of Jesus Christ, the right person matters. And they tried to prepare the people. They tried to pick the right person. What would happen in our churches if we selected deacons and Sunday school teachers, evangelism directors, musicians, and sound guys with the same precision and prayer as we do pastors? 
Listen, a great church doesn't want anyone teaching their kids. They want the right person teaching their kids. And I, uh, I have a perfect illustration of this. Do you see in your bulletins there's this announcement that says, if you know what uppers are, that comes back to a story of one time we were in here. We were talking about an addition that needed, and it was talked and discussed about the need for uppers. And I raised my hand, and I said, what on earth are uppers? And everyone laughed, and they said, we're so glad you're the preacher. <laughs> John has been working tirelessly in the basement to build an addition down there. Do you know that nobody came to me and said, Pastor, we'd love to build an addition in the basement, and we'd like you to head it up. Why? I'm not the right person. Sometimes I think, especially in a smaller church, we're tempted to get any warm body anywhere. The right person matters. I've often heard stories of usually men that grew up in Catholic school and they talked about the grumpy old ladies. <laughs> or I've heard stories of public school kids that hate a subject and almost every single one of them, the subject they hate, guess what? They didn't like the teacher. Let's pray and decide and pursue that we will have great people, people with a heart for the lost. The people that you want reaching out to the lost are the people that have a heart for the lost. The people that you want teaching Sunday school are the people that love teaching Sunday school. The people that you want doing crafts are the people that love doing crafts. The people that you want preaching are the people that love preaching. Application. What would happen... And what did happen? Imagine with me that Jesus ascended and the disciples formed a committee. They rented a room. They started a Sunday school and some good exegetical preaching instead of going to prayer. What might have happened? This passage I've been meditating on and it struck me. Numbers 13 and 14. I almost preached an entire sermon on the church from Numbers 13 and 14. Now, if you know our doctrine, you know church isn't around yet. <laughs> but in there, this is where the, the, uh, the, the Israelites are headed out. And they're going through... And Mo God says, Moses, I'm going to give you land and 12 spies. 12 spies go into the land. They find that the land is incredible. There's so much fruit. There's so much good there. And they come back and they say, but we're tiny and the adversaries are huge. And Joshua and Caleb said, who cares? We believe in God. <laughs> and God says, go, let's go. And the nation of Israel, do you know what they did? I just caught it this year. The nation of Israel said, let's find us a captain who will take us back to Egypt. Listen to this, and you might want to write this down. Often in a church and in our own lives, the known pain of the past is easier than the unknown certainty, or the unknown future. The known pain of the past is often easier than the known uncertain future. That's why people live in abusive relationships for so long often. They understand it. And many times, as we think about the future, guess what? I cannot guarantee the outcome of any changes that we make. But we can guarantee the outcome of what we're doing right now. Many churches that die, die with the words, we've always done it this way, strapped over their church. We've always done it this way. 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 And that was really challenging to me because our Lord has said, um, that the, the gates of hell won't prevail against us. Consider this quote. I've read enough about the past to know that people expect the future to be ominous, and yet somehow we've survived. I am encouraged about the future because God is in it. 
Church, I want to encourage you, don't fear the future. How it must break the heart of our Father when we cling to the pain of the past instead of launching out into the fruitful future, field of the future. God has promised, God promised them land and he promised that his church would prevail against the gates of hell. So let's storm the gates. Because what happened was they went to a prayer meeting and Acts 1-8 happened. I'm going to give you this outline and this is going to go really fast. If you're trying to take notes, don't. Because there's no way you're going to keep up with it. Just put it all, the whole thing up there. In Acts chapter 1, I guess I have this in my notes. In Acts chapter 1, the witness was in Jerusalem. They got a report, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. In Acts 6, 7, it says, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Then the witness to all, went to all Judea and Samaria. And in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, the progress report is, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was built up, walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And it, what? Multiplied. Then all of a sudden, the witness went to the extremity of the earth. And Acts chapter 12, verse 24, gives us a progress report that the word of God increased and multiplied. Then it went on in Acts 16, 5. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. Can you imagine if our church was growing daily by people being saved? Can you imagine that? Can you do that? I can't. Can the Holy Spirit do that? Yes. Why not now? Went on in Acts 19, 20. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Acts 28, 30 through 31. He lived there at the uttermost parts of the earth. Two whole years at his own expense, welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. They waited for the Holy Spirit and he did just what he said he would. Listen, Acts covers about 30 years. How cool would it be for the progress report of Acts to be true of us? And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. How cool would it be? And this is, again, why we know that programs aren't the answer. Because none of us can program this. How cool would it be in 30 years if St. Ansgar Baptist Church has caused the spread of the gospel throughout Iowa? The entire state. Can you imagine that? No, we can't. Why? Because we can't do it. But what would happen? Do you know that to the east, there are very few good gospel preaching churches? Very few. You can drive for 30 or 40 miles and not have a church that's a gospel preaching church. What would happen if we began to be serious about this? Do you know that, and I'm getting ahead of myself, I'm so excited to preach next Sunday and I haven't even studied for it yet. But anyway, (laughs) do you know that church planting is natural for a church that's making disciples? I've met enough parents to know when their kids hit about 20, 25, they're looking forward to something grandkids do you know what happens when a church begins to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples you're like there's too many of us here someone go and start a new church they're like okay we're gonna go make disciples in riceville okay we're gonna go make disciples in cresco okay we're gonna go make disciples in decora (laughs) i love geography if you can't tell but anyway It multiplied. With man, this is impossible. But with God, what? All things are possible. I'd like the pianist to come and play.
And uh, go ahead and bow your head and close your eyes. Kathy's going to play. I want maybe, maybe God's been working on your heart to repent of your lack of faith. Just confess that to your Father. He is eager and ready to forgive. Perhaps He's also stirred in your soul the realization that the Spirit has never worked in you and caused a change. I encourage you even now to call out on the Lord. You might be dead in your sins. Call out to Him. Repent of your sin. Ask for His forgiveness. And He'll save you and give you His Holy Spirit. Maybe you just need to commit before God to be active in corporate prayer. Maybe you said, I've only prayed by myself. I never pray with other people. I'm uncomfortable with it. Commit right now that you're going to be committed to corporate prayer. Perhaps you just need to rejoice in what God has done. And as we sing our final song, let the prayer of your heart be, God, I believe that you can do it again. The future isn't scary because God is in it. So as Isaiah comes, he's going to come and we're going to lead us in a song. And I encourage you just to commit to God. Don't let today be a day where you're a hearer of the word and not a doer. Take this time. Commit yourself to the Lord. Father, I pray that you'd pour out your Holy Spirit on us and fill us so that we might be witnesses for you. Convict us of sin. Help us to give us desires for holy living. I pray for the young people in this church to be serious about their relationship with you. That you give them a hunger and thirst for righteousness, a hunger and thirst for the word of God and for prayer. I pray that we'd be a church united in prayer, that we'd be calling out on you and saying, God, hear our prayer and do a mighty work that only you can get the credit for. God, you've done it before. You can do it again. Let's stand together and we're going to sing our final song.